Okay, let's turn to um, 1 Corinthians. We're going to continue on in our study of this uh, epistle, and we're in chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to begin reading in verse 2. Just one second here. <clears throat> okay, 1 Corinthians eleven two. 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For a woman came from man, even so man comes, also comes through woman. But all things are from God. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. <clears throat> it strikes me as I read through 1 Corinthians, thank you, thank you Matt, <clears throat> that Paul is engaged in a role somewhat like the Bible answer man. Uh, he has been to Corinth, he saw the church established, he wrote a letter to Corinth, and there were questions that came afterwards to him, and he wrote to them. In fact, there's a letter that we don't have that's not part of the inspired uh, scripture uh, where he wrote uh, answers to their questions. But here in 1 Corinthians, we have answers to questions that had come up um, in the meantime. And so he writes this, and then, of course, 2 Corinthians uh, similarly. You have to <clears throat> look at the Corinthian church and remember that the people of this church came from various backgrounds, various cultural um, practices, and uh, as the church grew, it encountered problems, problems with behavior, problems with attitudes, problems with cultural conflicts, and a host of other questions on how to live the Christian life. And so they had written to Paul to ask him about all of these things, and 1 Corinthians is, in part, um, an answer to these questions. So this morning we come to a new question, 
And the question involves the role of women and men in the church, and in particular, why should a woman wear a head covering? If I went to most churches today and I delivered this sermon, I probably would not be asked to come back again. And as a matter of fact, that has happened to me. Um, I preached this sermon in an assembly, and I was never asked to come back. In fact, they were offended by me teaching on this in the assembly. Um, The passage is pretty much ignored by most churches today. And I expect that from the world. I don't expect that from Christians. I don't expect it from the professing church. And as we look at these verses this morning, the one fundamental underlying thing that I want you to take away from this is humility. Okay? If you take nothing else away from this, take that away from this message today. It's all about humility. And listen to what the Lord is saying to us. And so I want to borrow the words of the Lord Jesus Christ when he prayed to God the Father, and he said to the Father, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That had to do with the cross, of course, but it it has to do with everything in our life. We we often come across scriptures and we say, and and they rub us the wrong way. And usually it's because of some sin or some attitude or some uh, thought process we have. And we come to the scripture, um, if we come with the attitude of humility and say, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It makes a huge difference in everything in our life. Now, the teaching from this chapter is not difficult or unclear, but it is rarely practiced today. Not because God has changed his mind, but because the church has allowed the world to squeeze it into its mold. So let's start with this. Let's not argue with God. Let's just go forward. Now, in some ways, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, okay? But I want you to look at the passage from the standpoint of people will come into this church and they'll ask, why do all the women wear head coverings? Why, why are you covered when we, when we come to meet? You should be able to have an answer for this. You should be able to express to other women why you do this. Why do we have this practice at all? <clears throat> so let's start with verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. This verse is probably referring back to 1 Corinthians 7, 1, where Paul says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, and then as he's thinking about this subject, he's saying, uh, you remember me in all things. And I was, you remembered what I taught you. You are practicing what I taught you. You are keeping the traditions um, that you were taught as I delivered them to you. Now, I'm going to just stop there for a second. When, we were, when he uses the word traditions, in our mind, we often think of that word and we um, uh, think of it as, as um, family traditions or family practices that we've come used to, or even worldly t- traditions like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and things like that, and we kind of have a negative view of traditions. Paul isn't talking about man-made traditions. Jesus actually condemned the Jewish leaders for man-made traditions. What he's talking about here is the truth of the Word of God. That's what he means when he says traditions here. In other words, 
the churches traditionally practice the Word of God. That's what he's referring to. And so he's praising them for that. And I can praise you this morning too, um, because you both know the Scriptures and have put it into practice in your lives. So let's look at the uh, subject and see what, if any, corrections we need to make in our lives. The teaching of this section, and I want to I say this too before we get into the meat of it. One of the uh, ways churches excuse the practice of head covering today is they will say, oh, this was uh, given to the Corinthians because they were in a culture that uh, was very different than our culture today. And so it was needed for them, but it's not needed for us. And so it's a cultural argument that people bring into this and say, it doesn't apply to this culture. God isn't concerned about the way we dress. He's not concerned about whether we wear a hat or we don't wear a hat. It has nothing to do with that. All he's concerned about is that your heart attitude is right. Well, God does care that your heart attitude is right. But he's given this in the Holy Scripture for all eternity for a reason. And we're going to see five reasons this morning why it is our practice uh, to wear head coverings or not to wear head coverings, as the case may be. So Paul is talking to, so I want to read one verse, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. It says, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place Call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Just that phrase in the beginning of 1 Corinthians tells me that Paul's letter is not addressed just to the Corinthians, but to the church for the entire church age. So it includes us here at Calvary Bible Chapel in 2018. Okay, number one reason why it is our practice. Head coverings symbolize a deeper truth symbolize a deeper truth. Um, Do we practice symbols? We do, actually. There are many, the Bible is full of symbols, actually, and uh, there are things that are symbolic. We do them or we practice them because they actually represent something much greater, something much deeper. So let me give you a couple of examples. We have a baptistry right behind me here. And uh, when a person comes to know the Lord, very often we take them and we, they request to be baptized. We put them in the water, we dunk them under the water, and then we bring them back out of the water. Baptism does not change you spiritually. It does not make you more right with God. A person can actually be saved and not be baptized and still go to heaven. And we have proof of that because the thief on the cross never, went, never got baptized, and yet Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. So we know that it's not for salvation and it doesn't add to salvation. But baptism does symbolize something. When a person is dunked under the water, it symbolizes their death with Christ, that Jesus Christ died for them on the cross and when and they were buried and he was buried and they're buried under the water and when they're brought up again it symbolizes their new life in Jesus Christ that's a symbol so baptism has a much deeper meaning or or representation than simply being dunked in water and come, coming out wet another symbolize or symbol that we um, 
practice was practiced just about an hour ago. We have the Lord's Supper, and we have bread, which symbolizes His body. We have wine, which symbolizes His blood shed for our sins. And as we partake of it, we are doing so in remembrance of Him. We're not re-sacrificing Jesus Christ. It's a symbol. It's an illustration of what He did for us, and it's a way for us to remember uh, Him. Um, I don't, we don't practice this very much. I did practice this once, to my shame. Um, but I, I took my shoes off or my sandals off, and I dusted the dust off of my feet. That was very offensive to somebody that I did that to. <laughs> That's a symbol in the Scripture. And it's a symbol of rejection. Um, we have sent missionaries out, or we have um, appointed elders or deacons, and we often lay hands on them. That's a symbol. Is there power in my hands as I touch them uh, to send them out? Is it, is it somehow transferring the Spirit of God upon them? No, they are already Spirit-filled people. What is it? It's a symbol of setting someone apart for a special service for the Lord and our recognition of that. Well, just like those are symbols, head coverings are also a symbol of humble submission to authority. That's the deeper truth that Paul is addressing here. So he says in verse 3, the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God, meaning God the Father. So as we look at this... um, these three uh, categories of, of headship and submission to that headship, I want to point something out to you. The worth or the value of the person is not the subject here. Jesus, it says of him that, that, that the head of Christ is God the Father. Was Jesus less God than the Father? Has he ever been less God? No, he's always God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The scripture is very plain about that. So it has nothing to do with his value or his worth, but it has to do with humble submission to an authority. Jesus, it says in the scripture in Philippians 2.6, is equal with God, yet he submits to the Father. And so the distinguishing roles are given here of four people, man, woman, Christ, and God the Father. And this is God's order. It is the deeper meaning behind the head covering. And so when a man recognizes and submits to to God's authority, he demonstrates this by not wearing a head covering. When a woman recognizes and submits to God's authority, she demonstrates it by wearing a head covering. Submission to authority is not new teaching in the scripture. It's found before we get to 1 Corinthians. And uh, submission to authority is actually not unheard of even in society, in our culture. Different roles or different jobs are given to people and they have authority over us. This is how all ordered societies work. For example, let's take a look at this picture. There we go. 
um, there's a picture. And if you see this maximum speed limit sign, but you do this, your speed is 33 instead of 25, you might expect to find yourself looking in the rearview mirror at this. Okay? A police officer pulling you over to give you a ticket for speeding. You broke the law. And he is the authority over you. Angelo has done this many times and has written tickets to people who break the law. And on the road, when Angelo was a um, CHP officer, on the road, he was the authority. And if he put his lights on, you pull over. And if he gives you a ticket, you accept it with thanks. <laughs> Romans chapter 13 says this, verse 1 and 2, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. In this case, it would be a ticket. And if you keep resisting, it might be an arrest. And if you keep resisting, it might be being put in jail. All authority, this verse says, belongs to God. And God delegates his authority to whomever he wishes, whether it's to kings or presidents, city officials or police, all authorities are appointed by God, and that includes in the family, in the church, and uh, just in human relationships between male and female. God, it is God's order. There's a train track that runs behind the uh, building here. Uh, Am it's an Amtrak um, track. And in order for the train to remain on the track, there are two rails. And those rails must be equal distance to each other at all times, and they must remain firmly in the ground. Otherwise, uh, if either track deviates in any way, you will have a train wreck. And so we have another picture to illustrate that. Um, I would not want to be on an Amtrak on this uh, this line here going at uh, 100 miles an hour. God established roles for men and women at creation, and as we move through the centuries, those roles have to remain on track. There, there are two rails in every ordered society, and those rails are authority and subject, subjection to that authority. And when a person does not submit to God's authority, there are consequences that follow. So, when it comes to authority, the Bible is, is very, very clear, and you can go to a number of passages, and I'll just mention some of the things that um, talk about this. Rulers, in uh, Romans 13, 1 and 2, the verses we just looked at, rulers are given authority by God, and we are to be sub subject to that authority. We are in submission to that authority. Children are to obey and to honor their parents. The parents, in this case, are the authority, just in case you wanted to know. Um, and children are to obey and honor them. Wives are to submit to their own husband as to the Lord in everything, Ephesians 5, 22 and 24. Slaves are to be obedient to their masters with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart, Ephesians 6, 5. Certainly we could apply that to um, employers or employees to their employers. And the believers in any local church are to obey and submit to their elders, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. So 
it, it encompasses a lot of areas, and, and it's, it, it's consistent. There's authority, submission to that authority. If there's going to be a well-ordered society or a well-ordered church or a well-ordered family and so on. Now, the argument comes back and says, yeah, but you don't know my husband, or you don't know my elders, or you don't know the government that I live under, or whatever. And there's always an excuse, a reason to opt out of following God's mandate. And I'm going to say this, that uh, rulers are to rule in righteousness. Fathers are not to provoke their children to wrath. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Masters or employers are to show goodwill and not be a threatening tyrant. And elders must give godly counsel, knowing that they will give an account to the Lord. So the Lord instructs both sides, if you will, in this, and, and he's fair. And so you have to look at the whole picture. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Would it be easy for a woman to submit to a man like that? I would think so. And so the onus rests on the man to be that loving husband. But the onus also rests with the woman to do her part too, submit to him uh, as to the Lord. There will always be evil rulers, lousy parents, self-centered husbands, oppressive bosses, and elders who fail. But that's not because authority is bad. It's because of sin. God's, it doesn't change God's order. It just is a recognition that there is sin in the world. And so if somebody sins, if I sin against my wife, what should her response? To sin back towards me? No. Um, if, if she doesn't fulfill her role, should my response be to sin against her? No. So we're all individually responsible to fulfill our roles. And I want to say this, that the principle of headship is all about humility. And let me illustrate it this way. In Philippians chapter 2, Jesus is described as being equal with God. And yet that same passage says that he did not grasp, he did not cling to his rights as, and privileges as God, but emptied himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And so what we see in this passage is Christ's humble, willing submission to God the Father. God the Father sent his Son into the world because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And Jesus willingly, humbly submitted to the Father's will. That's what Philippians 2 is all about. We, um, it's, a, it's a very deep passage, but at the very beginning of the passage, Paul begins by saying this, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he describes the astounding humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the point that Paul is driving home here. We need to have the mind of Christ. We need to approach all of life humbly. And we need to approach the scripture with deepest humility. We need to have the mind of Christ. It's a mind that takes the low place, the place of humility, just as Jesus did. And if we apply Philippians 2 to this passage in 1 Corinthians 11, let this mind be in you, the mind of humility, then we realize that this teaching is not about inferiority. It's not about ability. It's about humility. Okay? That's what it's about. 
Jesus willingly submitted to the Father, and we have this testimony in the Scripture that he was well-pleasing to God. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well-pleased. And if I, as a man, willingly submit to Christ, I will have this testimony as well. He is well-pleasing to God. And if you, as a woman, willingly submit to man, you will have this testimony that you are well-pleasing to God as well. So, it's a long, long way of saying that's number one. The first reason for head coverings is not a cultural argument. It is based on God's designed order. This is the foundation for all that's going to follow here. Okay, number two. The second reason why we practice wearing head cover, head covering <coughs> is actually an argument from uh, creation in verses 4 through 9. So let's take a look at that. Um, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. So we're going to look at more detail of this in a minute. In verses 4 through 9... Uh, they demonstrate that this teaching is not rooted in Corinth, but in creation. In other words, the practice of head covering is not a cultural issue at all, applicable only to the church at Corinth. It's a practice rooted in creation. A few weeks ago, Chris and I uh, went to Maui, went to uh, Hawaii, and uh, we were there over a Sunday, and we decided to go to one of the churches nearby where we uh, were staying. And uh, this church is a very large church. They actually have two services a a Sunday, Uh, probably 300-plus people at each service, I would would imagine. And we got there, and uh, as we sat on one of the chairs, I kind of looked around the audience and, um, you know, just kind of to get a feel for what was, who, who were there and what was going on. And as I looked around the room, I was disappointed. Actually, it caught my attention that there were five or six people wearing head coverings. And I thought, wow, in a group of probably three to four hundred people, five or six people that are wearing head coverings. And the thing that disappointed me more than anything else was they were all men. Let's Paul, let Paul explain the symbol and what it portrays in the church. So the, first of all, The direction to men, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, verse 7, since he is the image and glory of God. So if I as a man um, am praying or prophesying, I'm involved in the church meetings here, and I'm wearing a hat or a hoodie or a shawl while praying or prophesying, I am actually showing disrespect and contempt for the one who is my head, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the clear teaching of the passage is don't wear a head covering while you're doing this. And what is the reason? The reason is that a man is the image and glory of God. And so Paul is actually reaching back to creation when he says this and the, the uh, beginning when God created man. And God made man different in a different way than a woman, and God made man 
first. And you say, well, so what? Well, it's important to God. And it's brought out here. Man was made from the dust of the earth directly by God, and he was made in his image and according to his likeness, the scripture says. In Psalm 8, verses 5 and 6, it says, For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. In, in Genesis 2-7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That's what he did to the male first person. The point that Paul is making here is that there is significance in the order of creation. Man was made first. And man was made directly from raw materials on the earth. Woman was made second, and actually she was made indirectly. And what I mean by that is she was made out of an existing human being. God took a rib out of Adam and created the woman from uh, man. Now, the interesting thing is here that we often come to this passage and we only talk about women and uh, how they should have uh, wear head coverings. But the passage also addresses men, and that we were made, or that uh, a man is the image and glory of God. And so whatever a man does, it should be for the glory of God. Whenever a man leads out in prayer, he should glorify God. When a man gets up to preach, he should preach as the oracles of God. When a man teaches, he represents God to his hearers. When a man lives, we should see Jesus. And just as the moon is a reflection of the sun, so men ought to be a reflection of our head, Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Be humble. Next, he addresses the women. And so the direction to women is this. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head <clears throat> uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. In verse uh, 7, but woman is the glory of man. If you, as a woman, wear a covering while praying or prophesying, you are showing respect and honor to the one who is your head. Who is your head? Well, it would be directly your husband if you're married. It would be the elders if you're not, or other males uh, in the uh, congregation. What's the reason for wearing it? Well, there's, there's a negative. Um, first of all, the negative is this. Not wearing a head covering is considered as indecent and shameful as if your head were shaved. And Paul is really suggesting here, look, women, if you don't wear a head covering, then let's get, let's get a razor and shave your head so that you're bald. That's really what he's describing here. And if that's shameful, then cover your head. But there's a positive. And the positive is, is that the woman is the glory of man. That is, she was made from man, in verse 8, and she was made for man, 
and she is his honor and glory. And as I use the illustration of the sun and the moon, I can use it here too. Just as the moon is a reflection of the glory of the sun, so a woman is the reflection of the glory of man. And the veil symbolizes the humility of the woman towards man. Now, from this passage, if you just took 1 Corinthians 11 by itself, it might appear that from this passage, a woman has the right to pray or prophesy publicly in the church. But Paul isn't addressing that issue yet. He will when we get to chapter 14, where he says, um, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. We'll get to that when we get to chapter 14. So, number three, why do we practice the wearing of head coverings? And Paul gives the third answer, and that is because of the angels. For this reason, verse 10, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. In our presence this morning are men. And in our presence this morning are unseen visitors, the angels of God. They are here with us this morning. You don't see them, but they're here and they're watching, they're observing. It is interesting that the scripture gives us little insights into some of the things that the angels have seen down through, the, through history. Uh, in Job, we read that the angels were there at creation, watching God as, as creation unfolded. I would have loved to have been an angel to see that. I mean, what we see is the finished product that has been, been uh, soiled by sin. But can you imagine being there as God spoke the word and the worlds came into being? I mean, phenomenal uh, events that took place at creation. And the angels, it says in Job, were there and they rejoiced at this. It was a, a time of tremendous joy as they watched God demonstrating his power uh, in creation. And they shouted for joy. Angels were also present at the fall of man. And we know this because uh, right after Adam and Eve took the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and they ate it, they sinned, they uh, hid from God, they tied fig leaves around them to, to hide their shame, and God called them and he addressed the issue of sin. And immediately after he sent them out of the garden, God put cherubim um, in uh, Genesis 3.23. It says, after the fall, uh, God placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. So the angels of God witnessed our fall. They witnessed the first creation, and they witnessed our fall. What did they witness? They witnessed um, the woman usurping the authority of man and taking of the fruit and, and plunging into sin. And they witnessed man uh, submitting, in a sense, to his wife and taking it. It, it. The Scripture actually talks about this. Eve fell. She was deceived, very clear in Scripture. But it's also clear in Scripture that Adam was not deceived. He knew what he was doing when he took that fruit, and he did it anyway. And the fall of man came as a result of this mix-up, of this uh, disobedience, really, to the order that God had placed in his creation of man as the head and woman submitting to him. 
So that's the first creation. They saw that we blew it big time. They saw that we, we destroyed what God had done. And now God has done something new. And it's called a new creation. What is the new creation? It's the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And he opens the door for all who believe to be his children. And, it's, and if any man be in Christ, the scripture says, he is a new creature. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the angels have witnessed all of this. And it, and it talks about how uh, the angels rejoice in heaven today over one sinner who repents. And so they watch what's going on on earth. And this morning, they're watching what's going on here at Calvary Bible Chapel. And as they watch, they must wonder. They, they have questions. They're intelligent beings, more intelligent than we are, because they must think through the questions and say, okay, Lord, they blew it the first go-round. Are they going to blow this too? Will, will women be submissive to men? Will men take the, the leading role as you intended it? And as they watch, they must wonder. Will women repeat her actions in the new creation? And a humble woman who wears a covering in submission to her God-given head answers the question to the onlooking angels. And the answer is no. She is, going, she is not going to usurp the authority of man, but understands the importance of humble submission to her head and honors him by wearing a head covering. And so it's, it's tre of tremendous importance. When you put a head covering on, you are actually saying to the angels of God, I am not going to usurp the authority God has placed over me. Huge. Now, this teaching of male leadership, women submitting to men, and so on, was never meant to cause pride or arrogance among men or rebellion among women. And Paul says that here, really, in, the next, in verses 11 and 12. Men and women are interdependent. Men and women are equal when it comes to their relationship with God, their position in Christ, and all of the rest of it. It, we are on equal footing. There are many, many women who are more godly than men. There are many women who are deeper in their walk with God than men are. But that's not the point here. What he's saying here in this section is that we are interdependent one with the other. In verses 11 and 12, uh, man depends on the woman and the woman depends on men. On men. Well, let's just read the verses, uh, verses 11 and 12. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of the woman, nor woman independent of the man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. All things are from God. In other words, it's the way God established it. Humility accepts God's order and follows it. So number four, why do we practice wearing head coverings. The next argument is an argument from nature itself. In verse 13, it says, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, 
It is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. You know, one of the things I like about the scripture is that it teaches men to be masculine and women to be feminine. It does. It's the way it should be. Um, Not just because I like it, but it's because that's the way God made it. He made us that way. Men to be masculine, women to be feminine. Every culture, doesn't, we're not even talking about the church here, but every culture uh, makes distinctions in the sexes. How do they do that? Well, from uh, the cut of clothing to the styles of clothing to shoes to bicycles to sports to hairstyles and so on. Why? Because even nature itself teaches us there is a difference between a man and a woman. It's not better or worse, it's just different. Long hair, as he's talking about here in this passage, on a, long hair on a woman is beautiful. It's very feminine, and a woman's hair is her glory. There was a, we used to live on uh, Callan Avenue in San Leandro, and there was a woman who lived in the neighborhood, I'm not sure where, but, but she walked to work every day and back. Long blonde hair. Her hair was down, I kid you not, all the way down to here. And it was beautiful, beautiful long hair. And God, you don't have to have hair quite that long. We're not talking about the length. We're not going to come here with a ruler to measure how long your hair is and how short it is. But God gave women a natural covering of glory in a way that he did not give to a man. And I speak very plainly about that, okay? Most women do not have this trouble. There are some who lose their hair for various reasons, but... Us males seem to lose it much faster. And what Paul, the, the, the point of what Paul is saying here is this, that what is true in nature, a covering to glorify her natural head, should also be true in the spiritual realm. A woman should have a covering to glorify her spiritual head. That's the point Paul is making. There are two coverings here in this section. One is her hair, which is her glory, and two is the veil that she puts over her hair, which is the glory of man. Number five, why do we practice wearing head covering? Verse 16 says, but if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Contentious people know nothing about humility that we have been addressing this morning. Paul recognizes that this teaching is probably going to ruffle some feathers. Maybe he was looking down to the 21st century. I don't know. But it certainly ruffles feathers um, with the women's liberation movement that has infiltrated our thinking and infiltrated uh, many of the professing churches today. So in answer to the question the Corinthians had, Paul lays out God's order where men are men and women are women where men are uncovered and women are covered. And he's saying this is the practice of all the churches. Wearing a veil was the practice of all the churches. Arguing about it was not. So we're going to close uh, this morning with a, a hymn. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. By his love and power controlling all I do and say. If you walk away this morning with just one thing, and let it be this, that 
live the Christian life with all humility. And, it, and if we approach the scripture that way, it's pretty easy. Okay?